Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 100 of Control the Controllables, a special occasion that requires a special guest. You never, never, never let a student leave the tennis court during a lesson and think they were a failure. Be careful, baby. I would stay there until the moon came out before I let a child go home thinking they were failure. Whether in business or in sports, never let a person leave thinking they can't do it. And that was, of course, the godfather of tennis, Nick Boliteri. And where do I start with Nick Boliteri? He's coached so many players. He was the person that really brought live-in tennis academies to the world back in 1978 when he set up Boliteri's, which we now know as the IMG Academy. But yes, some names, Andre Agassi, Maria Sharapova, Jim Currier, Tommy Haas. He played a big role with the Williams sisters and so, so many. Boris Becker jumps to mind. And what a privilege to have him on control the controllables. I'm going to pass you over to Nick Boliteri. So Nick Boliteri, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? I'm always doing fine, baby. No sense complaining. Remember, excuses don't pay the bills. That that's for sure. And you're look, coach Nick, you're the you're the third tennis coach we've had in their 80s. We've had Ian Barclay who, who was my former coach, actually, Pat Cash's coach, and also a British tennis coach, John Hicks. And I have to say, you all look incredibly well. So what what is the secret to staying so fit at your age? I'm happy, and I feel wonderful inside knowing that I'm helping people reach their potential, not only in tennis, but in life as well. And, and you've certainly you've certainly done a lot of that, and and I and I want to get into all of those successes today because there's there's been so many of them and not almost too many to talk about. But when when we think of Nick Boliteri, we don't really think about the trials and tribulations that you've also had to go through to get to being so successful. So, so can you share with us, I guess, the start of the journey and maybe some of the difficulties that you had back in the day, getting the whole success story going? It all started to do something no one else ever did. And the reason why most people are hesitant to do this it's because they're afraid of failure. Yep. And that's what separates here and here. But also remember something. That when you try something new, you will experience difficulties. Yep. But that's part of life. 
And what we did was to start the first live-in tennis, really sports academy of the world, yep. called the Nick Voluntary Tennis Academy, now the IMG Academy. But remember something. People said he's crazy. I am crazy. Because crazy people do things that sane people are hesitant to do. And where did where did that start for you? As you know, if you go back to your real younger days, and I know that you played some tennis, but tennis, I guess Rafael Nadal starting a tennis academy has got Rafael Nadal as a name. You know, Nick Boliteri didn't have that name as name as a player. So where did this attitude start from you? You know, does it go back to your time in the US Army? Does it go back to your parents? Where did this positive attitude start? Really a combination. My grandmother gave me the courage to try and do things no matter what they were. Number two, my grandmother didn't judge me by success only, but judged me by trying to do those things. Three, when I was a former paratrooper, we were part of a team, baby. We were part of a team. And every member of the team was a volunteer to be becoming a paratrooper. And we each did what we had to do to make sure we were a success. And then I started my summer camps. And Vince Lombardi, the great football coach, helped me get started in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. And then I said, gee whiz, you put kids together. Wow. So I said, maybe we might even do more. And it all started at the Colony Beach Hotel. And it started by a young student taking a lesson. And I said, is your father picking you up? He said, no, I'm coming home with you. That was Carling Bassett. Right. He was the first one. Two weeks later, a little Volkswagen pulled up. Two small guys got out, one a boy, and the other, I guess, was a father. I heard a little bit about this little boy. So I put him down in court three, but you know, Nick has eight eyes. As I'm giving my lesson on court one, I'm watching that court as well. He hit a cockamamie forehand, wrapped the racket around the back of his head, jumped off his feet. I called all my coaches. That's the voluntary killer forehand. Who was that? Jimmy Arias, and now Jimmy Arias is the tennis director at the IMG Academy. He came to my house. A little later, Aaron Krigstein came to my house. Pretty soon, I had 10 living in the house. And my third wife left. I was on my third wife then, and she said, Nick, I have two young children and 10 people in the house. I just can't do it. So, a little later, one of my close friends, Mr. Lewis Marks, lent me $2 million, and I bought 40 acres of land in Bradenton and started the first living tennis academy of the world. When I did this, 2020 interviewed me, Sports Illustrated, and this man that was being interviewed said, Nick Voluntary is crazy. I am. 
He doesn't feed the kids. He beats them up. Guess what? My mother, we're all Italian, began cursing at the television. <laughs> she said to my father, quiet man, the youngest man to graduate from Foreman, Fordham Pharmaceutical School, Jimmy, why are they talking so bad about our son? Listen, everybody, what my daddy said. In the quiet voice, she said, Mary, if you ain't nobody, ain't nobody going to talk about you. And whatever they say, you say, thank you. And let the results of what you do in life do the talking for you. That's what helped me be who I am today. Well, there's, there's certainly been lots of people talking about you for for many 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 years you know and and we'll we'll continue to talk about you for many many years you know the legacy that you're going to leave in the sport but i always i've always wondered how how did you gain that credibility at first so somebody kind of coming along and somebody who didn't have a big background in playing tennis someone who was charging a buck 50 the first time you ever gave a tennis lesson how did you gain the credibility to have all of these top players coming to you in the first place? They were curious, but I had a few good players to start off with. Okay. And good players and doing something different erased your curiosity. And from my summer camps, I developed a big audience. Okay. It began coming. But, but remember something. Another reason for my success was surrounding myself with a staff that believed in what we were doing and worked day and night to accomplish our goals. And by the way, IMG now is 600 acres with nine sports, all starting from the crazy idea of having a living tennis academy. But remember something, you measure your success because everybody copied me, baby. And when people copy you, you don't have to say nothing. (laughs) But when people start copying you, you better do other things a little better, a little better. Never think that you're a winner. You have to keep on doing it more and adding to it. And that's what Nick Voluntary has done. Never being satisfied. And by the way, I'm now doing the voluntary tennis and learning program, helping inner city children have a chance in life. That program is totally free. And I started that with Arthur Ashe, baby. And what does Nick want to be remembered for? Not the 10 number ones, not the 13 Hall of Fames, but helping people. And I'm very proud to be the first white person to be inducted into the Black Tennis Hall of Fame. And I have two adopted sons from Ethiopia. And my younger son said, Daddy, you got to work on your tan, baby. (laughs) So, but also, I'm a happy guy. Yeah. But... I've surrounded myself with dedicated people, especially my full-time manager, Steve Schuler, who was one of my first students. Remember, you can't do it by yourself. 
Yep. You have to have a team that believes and willing to dedicate their lives to fulfill the mission. Yeah, no, no, very good coach. And I think I think that's one thing that a lot of tennis coaches or tennis programs around the world will find is there might be one person. So if I if I want to go to to Nick Bolateri's tennis academy, I I want to go for Nick Bolateri. So so like you you like you say so well, the importance of having that team around is the only way that you can scale what you what you're doing. So how how did you select the right people? And I guess, was there a time where maybe you selected the wrong people? And then how did you action that to fix that? It's my way or the highway, baby. That's it. Very simple. Okay. Remember, our coaches did not work by the hour, baby. It was all day, seven days, 365 days a year. So when my coaches said, Dick, how much are we going to make? We'll talk about that later, baby. Yeah. But you know what? As a leader, I accepted the blames yep. and I shared the successes. Yeah. And that's why the coaches stayed with me for so many years. Yeah. And I tell you something. The one thing, if whoever's listening to this gets this next message, you never, never, never let a student leave the tennis court during a lesson and think they were a failure. Be careful, baby. Yep. I would stay there until the moon came out before I let a child go home thinking they were a failure. Why? They don't eat. They don't sleep. They don't do their homework. They lose their self-esteem and they're subject to the devils of drugs and alcohol. So whoever's listening to this, whether you're in business or in sports, never let a person leave thinking they can't do it. Very good. And would you say, would you say that sort of philosophy and that sort of way is the reason that you had such such a success with so many players? Absolutely. But the other there's one other reason. Nick Balateri accepted there are no two people alike, baby. Get to know the student and work within their style. Jim Curry, the baseball grip. Monica Sellers, two hands on the baseline. Paul Anacone, get your fanny to the net. Tommy Hassel complained about everything. Became a hell of a player. Andre Agassi, the backhand return to serve. Everybody is different. Yep. And also, coach, Andre Agassi made me a better listener, baby. Okay. Came home one time, going home for Christmas. I said, Nick, do you ever listen? No, I don't listen. Would you listen to me? Yes. The dean of the school said I had to cut my hair. Would you take care of it, please? And I sure did. <laughs> but Andre made me a better listener. And remember, when you listen, you can give a better answer. And I'm going to be developing a podcast. And I'm going to be able to do a lot of things on that podcast that nobody else has ever done. Yep. I'm going to share 60 years, baby, not six years, but 60 years yep. of teaching the game. And by the way, I'm still learning, baby, because when you think you know everything, it's time to go back to school. And IMG 
next year, January, will be adding to their facility five more air-conditioned indoors, red clay courts, a stadium court, a small stadium court, a hall of fame. They're on the move, baby. And that gives a loud message. We're never satisfied in what we have or do, but we want to do more. Very good. And over those over those 60 years, is there been any players that you haven't felt that you've been able to get through? You know, you said, you know, you might have Agassi coming at you with this. You might have Courier with this. It, there must have been some I players there, at the academy. I, I think there were two players that did not reach their ability. Yep. Uh, I mean, did not reach, because they were fantastic. Number one, Marcelo Rios probably was the most talented player I've ever worked with. And number two, my Xavier Melise. Fantastic. He didn't reach his potential. But the most talented player I've ever worked with that fell short of their goals or what they were capable of doing was Marcelo Rios. Don't yeah. ask me why, because that's yeah. confidential. Yeah. But he was the most talented athlete that I've ever worked with. And by the way, I want to say thank you to Richard Williams. Yeah. Let me be part of the Williams family. Mm. And I tell you what, Richard trained his daughters in a different way and they thought he was crazy. And the other person I want to thank is Ken Solomon, who did the Tennis Channel, bringing tennis to millions of people throughout the world. But people said he was crazy. People said Richard Williams was crazy the way he taught his girl. Well, take a look at the results. And, you know, I really think that coaches today have much more of a responsibility than just teaching the game of tennis. Yep. Preparing them to be positive, to get an education, to stay away from drugs and violence. So coach today is far more than just teaching the game of tennis. Yeah, I agree. And another lesson, when a parent comes up and tells you, I have the next champion, you tell them the following. Out of 3,000 playing the tour, 1% make a living. Yeah. Think of a college scholarship, unless you're offered $5 million up front. College scholarship for a couple of years. Education, being able to play tournaments, but parents think, they're going to make it out of 3,000 on the tour, as I told you once again. 1% yep. make a living. If you're yep. not in the top 80 of the world, you lose money, baby. You lose money. I have to I have to go back. There's a couple of things I want to jump into on that, but I have to go back to Xavier Melise. So Xavier is a good friend of mine, and uh, I had him on the podcast two or three weeks ago, and he, he was very honest. He spoke beautifully about yourself, Nick, and, and about the team at IMG. You know, he, he really did. And he talked about how the impact you had the second you walked on the court. You know, he really, he really felt it. But one thing he talked about, which was quite interesting, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is he said he won too much. 
He said he felt when he was younger, he didn't experience losing at all. So then actually it probably stopped him working that extra 5%. And later on in his career, when he started to lose a few more matches, he said he didn't realize until late enough. It was too late, sorry, when he realized at age 27 that actually he had to put that extra work in. What's, what's your memory of him being at the academy? W was it that he it came too easy to him that maybe stopped him giving that extra 5%? Well, first of all, He's one of the kindest young men I've ever worked with, yeah, always yeah. checking up on me. But sometimes when things come so easy that does not require hours and hours and hours and hours of doing more and also doing some things that you're not doing now because you're beating them with what you have. I believe Xavier if he added to his game of coming forward because he didn't miss from the baseline, I think he could have reached even higher heights. Yep. But he's a character. He's he a character. Is. I remember one time he sat down on the court and yells up at me. He said, Nick, I don't like the way he, that guy's hitting the ball. He was a character, but a kind soul. Very kind. Kind, kind person. And you know, I believe that if he was a vicious person, maybe he might have been destructive to his entire life. Yeah. But he did not reach his potential. And other people who put in hours and hours and hours could not reach his level because it just came so easy. And remember, sometimes when things come so easy, you take for granted, hey, I don't need to do anymore. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Very, very good. And and you, when you you started talking a little bit there about the change in academy. So if we take, I call it the Nick Bolateri Academy. I know it's the IMG Academy, but um, I'm of the age that it's Bolateri's. It's not IMG. And it, you you started that 1978, I believe. So 42, 43 years ago. So you really have been through the the evolvement of what a tennis academy is i've heard you saying things like people have a court in their garden and they now call it, call it a, a tennis academy you know and, yeah. and, and it's kind of it's a, it's a it's a name that's thrown thrown around there but what what do you think are the biggest differences from from back in the late 1970s now to 2021 in what a tennis academy is the tennis academy must be able to teach the entire game. Yep. More emphasis on physical fitness, building a weapon. Also, be willing to try things that you're not comfortable with. The game today has changed. Imagine back in the times of Andre and Curry in those days. When Sampras came with his outstanding coach, he was a giant at 6'1", 6'2". The average height that Andre and Chang and those guys, 5'10", 5'11". The average height now is 6'3", 6'4", baby. Yeah. So the game has changed physically, mentally, and in order to play the game today, you cannot have a weakness and be a great player. Yeah. Okay? 
Many years ago, you could get away with a, a weak second serve, okay? But today, the return is, look at Serena, what she does on the second serve, that's defensive. Boom, boom, it's over. Also, today, the real big ones have a team. Just not the tennis, it's the nutrition. It's the physical fitness. It's the sleeping. It's everything. Look at Djokovic's team. Yeah. My gosh. Djokovic may not have been or may not be the best player ever to play the game, but he's the most constructive player in all assets. Yeah. I mean, why? He has a team of what he eats, when he goes to sleep, and everything else. But I want you to know something. If I had to give one tip today that would help everybody, run for every damn ball, baby. Run for every single ball. And if you notice, when to start running before the ball crosses the net, you will improve your game. Yep. Richard Williams told his daughter to run for ball if it's 50 feet out. By doing that, they reached the almost impossible ball. So my last tip for everybody, the second you step on that tennis court, it's all business, and you run for every single ball. All right, baby? Very good. And any players that you always wanted to coach but never actually got to coach? It would have been something to uh, to work with Djokovic because I think that my mentality sort of blends into his academy. Yeah. And Chris Everett gave me a wonderful, wonderful compliment. She said, Nick, my daddy taught me the techniques, but if you were on the road with me, baby, I would have won a lot more. That's a compliment, baby. Absolutely. Billy Jean compliments me. You know, when you get compliments from people like that, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. And working with our inner-city voluntary tennis and learning program is what Nick wants to be remembered for. Yes. Helping children that have no chance to pursue their dreams. And I want everybody else to understand something else. Parents, be realistic. Be realistic. And coaches... I know you're getting a lot of lessons from that girl. A lot of lessons. But did you tell the mother that the girl will reach this level and should go to college? Why aren't you doing it? Yeah. Huh? Uh-uh. Coaches, tell the parents the truth. Absolutely. And, if you, and also, remember what I said a few minutes ago. Become a better listener. And if you listen first to the end of a lesson that the student tells you what they think, you can give them a more intelligent answer. And this is what's going to be on my podcast. I'm going to start an unbelievable one. And by the way, I'm very proud that the Tennis Channel and Joel Druckner is about ready to release my new book called Leap, Then Look, Seven Motivational Messages from a Crazy Tennis Coach by Nick Bolletieri and Joe Druckner. This will be a book unbelievable. And I'm very honored 
that Joe Druckner and the Tennis Channel will be my partners in bringing and selling the new book. Amazing, Nick. I, there's a couple of things that you mentioned there. You talk about your your legacy being about bringing tennis to the inner city kids and also about coaches having to tell the player and the parent the truth. So let's let's just for a minute think of which tennis player also thinks along those lines, puts his money into the inner cities and is trying to help charities. Nick Kyrgios. So you're now Nick Kyrgios's coach. You've got to give it to him. You're going to turn him into a Grand Slam champion. How are you going to do it, coach? I'm the type of guy that would love to coach Kyrgios. Yep. You know what I would do? Sit him in a room and let him watch three or four of his matches. I would say nothing. But I know how to relate to a guy like Nick. Yep. But I would let him see. And then I would say, tell me about what happened just then. Tell me about the attitude, your temper. But if you start demanding Nick to do this and this, it'll never work. His personality must be understood by the coach and how to reach Nick Eric. But remember, seeing is believing. Let him watch some matches. Okay, let him watch. The more you talk to him, the less chance you have of being a success. But Nick Carrius has all the ability level to be unbelievable, but the coaches have not reached him yet and worked within his personality. Can we get this on? Voluntary Kyrgios. Uh, what, a, what a team that would be. I would love to see it. Well, I tell you what. That's a challenge that I would accept because you're not going to change him, but a little bit here, a little bit there, without him knowing it. Remember something. When you say, I'm going to change you, your mind goes into convulsion. Yep. We Italians know how about in a burger here, in a burger here, <laughs> I will make the change without you even knowing it, baby. <laughs> and that's the type of guy that's got to be with Nick Curry. Brilliant. And which player have you personally learned the most from? Well, I learned uh, a lot from uh, Boris Becker. And Boris Becker, on his serve, he had four serves. He visualized in his mind before he served. Okay. And this was the type of player. Monica Selish, not a great athlete, baby, but she stood close to the baseline. Two hands on both sides and worked morning, noon, and night. Okay, so everybody, Jim Currier, his baseball grip on his backhand, his mother said, thank you for the scholarship, Nick. Would you please change his backhand? I said, the hell with the backhand, Jim. He's on forehand. So all my players, the Paul Anacone, the Maria Sharapovic, Martina Hakis, all of those I learned who they were, yep. and a lot about their parents. One last story. Martina Hinkes came to me, I think it was 1995, with her mother. The last WTA championship be held in Madison Square Garden. I said, Mrs. Molitor, I, I can't change her technique. They're beautiful. She said, Nick, my daughter said, 
I'm tired of tennis, mommy. I don't want her anymore. I took her to lunch at my favorite restaurant, South Philly. As we're walking back, I said, Martina, what's the matter, dear? Oh, my mother's a pain in the neck. Tennis, tennis, tennis. I turned around and pointed my finger at her. Let me tell you, young lady, you wouldn't be where you are today without your mother. Get your fanny out there. And work, baby. I went up to Madison Square Garden with the mother. She won the quarters, won the semis, and beat Davenport in the final. Took the microphone. I owe this to my mother, who dedicated her life to me, and to Nick Voluntary, who put the fire, the fire, back in my belly, and gave me a nice check, too. So, baby, whatever success I've had, God has given me the answers to give to the people. And remember something, I love my job, baby. And I will continue working for many more years. I'm now wondering with my manager what I'm going to do for my 90th in July. Remember, I jumped for one of them. I flew with the Blue Angels for another one. But I'm going to do something crazy, baby. And remember something, my eighth wife, I married 17 years. I broke the record. I have two adopted sons from Ethiopia. And baby, Nick keeps on going. And I want to thank you for the honor of being on your show. And whatever comes about, I hope that the listeners learn one thing from my time with you today. So I say, see, baby. Ciao, ciao. Nick, it's been an absolute, an absolute pleasure and honor. And thank you so much for inspiring myself, but in inspiring the in the tennis world with with everything that you've done and everything that you continue to do. Thank you. And remember, when you look in the mirror as I look in the mirror, 147 pounds, tan, beautiful teeth. I'm looking good, baby. So you better look in the mirror and tell yourself what you have to do. God bless you, everybody. Thank you, Coach. Could I have a two-minute quick fire round? The podcast, we do a quick, it's a quick fire round. It's one or two, one or two word answers. Okay, go ahead. Are you ready? I'm always ready. Pro or college? College first, unless you're offered five million up front. Forehand or backhand? Today, the game is built on strong forehands, but you also have to have a steady backhand as well. Serve or return? First serve determines a lot, but your second serve will determine your future. And the return, Agassi, baby, he went for it. Serena went for it. If you can't make big returns on defensive balls, you can't be a winner. Who are going to be the 2021 Australian Open champions? Men, men first. I take the Fifth Amendment because who knows who's even going to play. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Your favorite Grand Slam? U.S. Open, baby. Let me tell you why. They're going to play 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. The fans there go crazy. It's a wonderful tour. The other three Grand Slams are great too. But New York, baby, everything goes. What's one rule change that you would have in tennis? A little bit more charisma on the court, baby. A little bit more excitement. Not, not a boo-boo, boo-boo-boo. A little bit more. 
Djokovic brings a lot of people on the court. Yeah. We need a little bit more of that. There's... We need a little bit more of my Tommy Haas. Oh, the sun is this. You need a little bit more zip. Make it more exciting. Kyrgios. Kyrgios Boletari again. We've got to get I'm it ready. on. I'm ready, Nick. Baby, <laughs> I'm ready. And who should our next guest be on the podcast? I think that uh, Jim Curry would be a very interesting one and Paul Anacone. Those are two darn good ones. But there's a person that's a wonderful human being, champion doubles player, that he can give you some good tips, and that's Max Merton. He's a gentleman of gentlemen and always willing to help children when he visits the IMG Academy. And remember yeah. something else. Richard Williams, I love you, baby. And thank you so much for letting me be part of the Williams family. Okay, baby? Coach, you're an absolute star. You're a legend of the game. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Take care. Stay safe. A big thank you to Nick for coming on the show. As I said at the start, what a what a privilege to, to have him on. Almost 90 years old later this year. And like I say, such a, an amazing figure in the sport of tennis. I would have loved more time to dig into more questions. I really would have. But they did say at the start we had 20, 25 minutes. And I managed to squeeze an extra 15 minutes out of them. So thank you, Nick, for that as well. And I've got Vicky beside me, as I do now for all podcasts, to, to unwrap what we've just listened to. And to then talk through a really exciting week for the podcast and what you guys have to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, what a treat that was. His his energy and his passion for tennis is, is still so strong, isn't it? He's dedicated his entire life to tennis. And when you think of all the players that he would have had an impact on, not just your Agassiz, your Sharapovas, your Couriers, but all the thousands upon thousands of people that would have walked through his doors at the academy. Yeah, I mean, he, the, the big thing for me coming through there as well is is what a leader he is. You know, and it was, you know, very clear, you know, quite an intimidating person actually to talk to. And and, and if I even go back a, a couple of weeks when Justin Gimmelstob put me in touch with Nick Boletari and I found myself calling him and I and I looked at the phone and it said Nick Boletari and I was waiting for him to answer. And when he answered, it was like this big moment of like, oh my goodness, I'm now on the phone to Nick Boletari. <laughs> and we ended up speaking two or three times to set it up. And yeah, he, he just, he oozes an aura he really in, does. in everything that he does. And I know you, you've met him before, haven't you? Well, met, hmm, I was lucky enough to go to the academy two or three times as a junior. So gosh, that would have been early, mid 90s. And really the, uh, the academy would have been 10, 15 years old. So still relatively young to what it is now. And um, the organisation of the camps, he talked about his summer camps, they really were um, something I'd never experienced before. We were so excited going there. But during each week that we were there, he would walk around every single court and feed two forehands, two backhands to every player that was there. And there were hundreds of players there at the time. And I remember just him walking onto our court, the excitement levels and the nervousness of all of us. It was like a rock star or a member of royalty kind of appearing. And yeah, hitting, hitting those shots, um, I've ne my arms never felt so heavy. I felt like I actually couldn't hit a forehand. We were just so, so excited to be in his presence. I actually spoke to um, 
Layla Ogan, um, a Warwickshire tennis legend, about it the other day. I said, did he go around every single court? Is my memory right? And she said, you know what? He said, I had a really nice backhand. <laughs> and that memory stays with her to this day about how how exciting it was for um, Nick Bollettieri to be praising um, one of her shots. So yeah, like you say, he, he has this aura about him. But that's you as a, as a junior. And we have, when we had Xavier Melis on the show... Xavier talked about exactly the same thing. And, and Xavier was one of the best juniors in the world, a semi-finalist of, of Wimbledon. And he talked about that thing of when Nick walked on the court, it was different. You know, something was different about it. You know, and you do, you hear some negatives about Nick Bollettieri. Oh, he's not a tennis coach. Oh, he doesn't have this. But come on, look at the look at the guy's track record. You know, to have that ability, to have that aura, to make people feel in that way. And as he said on the show, you know, never let a player leave the court until they have mastered the skill and they're feeling good about it, you know. And you can just, that just oozes out of him when you're talking to him. And yeah, it was, it was a real treat. I mean, he spoke about teams quite a lot. Okay, now we can look at him and say, well, Nick Bollettieri, all this experience, but... To get started, to have a team around him that are buying into him, are buying into his vision for the Tennis Academy. I think, yeah, he has to be a very strong leader and have something special to get so many coaches around him dedicated to his academy, putting in the hours and building it up. Um, Yeah, it's a special skill. And from that, he's created something very special with the academy. I mean, we could have had all afternoon with him and we still wouldn't have even scratched the surface, really, with all the stories that he must have and all all the experiences that he's had over the years. And we can't move on from talking about Nick until we mention the Nick Kyrgios offer. <laughs> can you can you imagine that? Nick Bolateri coaching Nick Kyrgios. It's out there. Make sure you guys share this podcast Let's get Nick Kyrgios listening to that. We would love to hear a response. (laughs) Well, a very special guest for a very special week for Control the Controllables. It's our 100th episode. It's been listened to in 100 countries now and it's been downloaded 100,000 times. So, yeah, a a great reflection, really, on on what's been lots of hard work. Yeah, no, it it, it is. when, When you hear it like that, it really hits you to think that there's a hundred countries. And when you look at some of the countries, you think, how's it got there? <laughs> you know, but it, it really is. It's it's lovely to get, I guess, that kind of feedback to know that people are enjoying taking lots from the podcast. I would certainly like to say a couple of special thank yous. One to John McGann at Max Tennis. You know, we did set this up together in the beginning. He's still playing a role within the podcast. And John, it's been, it's been a pleasure working alongside you. To the team at Soto Tennis, you know, this this has taken a lot of hours to bring this and certainly the rest of the team at Soto Tennis have taken on extra workload to ensure that the this these podcasts are coming out, you know, all of the fantastic assets you see on social media, the emails, all of that. And then and then the family, you know, yourself, Vicky, who you know, you've had to put up with probably grumpy me at times and late nights and also the kids to keep stealing their bedrooms. Um, they do say it takes a village to, to create something. And I know it's mainly my voice on the show, but it is far from you know my podcast. There's many great people behind the scenes. And then lastly, you guys who, who are listening and who are sending feedback, who are, who are reviewing the podcast, you know, some of the messages we get, that's what really makes it for us. And, and yeah, we have no, 
no desire to be going anywhere. There's many more podcasts to come. Including two this week. We've got um, the Australian Open preview, which I wanted to join in last night. All I could hear was laughter, laughter, laughter for an hour or so. That's out um, tomorrow, Wednesday. Well, I, I have to correct you. It's the, it's the review, not the preview. How many times have I done that? <laughs> I keep getting them mixed up. It's a, it's, preview at the start, review at the end. It's an easy thing to get mixed up. But at, this, at the same time, we, yeah, we did. Unfortunately, Freddie Nielsen couldn't make it last night. So we had uh, a special guest, Mark Hilton, who's been on the podcast before. He came in and took his place. That was brilliant. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Hope you guys do as well. That'll be out in a couple of days. And then how can we not put the Louis Kaye podcast out this week? You know, again, the godfather of British tennis, the godfather of doubles. Nine British players played main draw Australian Open doubles this year. We had a finalist, a semi-finalist of the men's doubles and a semi-finalist of the mixed doubles. And it just feels right to be bringing that to you at this time so close after Aussie Open. So lots more to look forward to, guys. Once again, a big thank you to you all for listening. I'm Dan Kiernan, and we are Control the Controllables. <laughs>